Amen. Um, just a little kind of vision piece here. The reason that we emphasize groups, if you've been here very long, you realize we don't have a lot of stuff. We don't have, you know, all these Bible studies through the week. We do groups because we believe life change best takes place in community around the word of God. So that's why we really emphasize these groups. They follow the, the school calendar. Um, so that's why we take most of summer off and we take Christmas time off so that we can be with our family. So that's that's that. We encourage you to check that out afterward. So have you ever been talking to somebody and they're telling you a story and you have no idea where it's going? And you kind of get this idea like, I, I wish I knew the point. Um, and I had a friend years ago who was notorious for telling wordy stories that you didn't know where it was going. And we got close enough that I got to the point where I would just do this. You know, like an airplane circling. I'd be like, land the plane. <laughs> Where are you going? Um, have you ever been the one telling the story and halfway through you're like, I have no idea where I'm going. <laughs> yeah. So the reason I'm starting with that is we're going to be in John 21. So open up your Bible to John 21. But there's a big question. Why this last chapter? Because John, one of Jesus's closest friends, wrote the book of John and he wrapped it up in John chapter 20. He ended it with, with saying why he wrote the book. He said, I wrote this so that you would believe and have life. The climax of the book is in John 20, where Thomas, doubting time, Thomas, says, you know, I believe, and he says, and he worships Jesus. He says, I believe, and he calls him my Lord and my God. The climax of the book. So why John 21? We need to know why before we get into it. Otherwise, we'll totally miss his point. If you're familiar with the Bible, You'll know this, but if you're not, that's totally okay. I'm going to tell you. Every gospel ends near the end with some kind of a commissioning. Uh, in Matthew 28, we call it the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where Jesus is about to leave. He's about to ascend to heaven, and he says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all I've commanded. In John, we saw that last week. Jesus rose from the dead. He came to his disciples and he said, as the father sent me, I send you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit to give them the power to go. So every gospel ends with this, this telling them to go, get out of here, carry on the mission, bring the message that I brought to you to the rest of the world. The last chapter in John 21 is a picture of the great commission. You probably heard the phrase, a picture is worth a thousand words. So we can talk about it all the time, but, but Jesus, or John, I'm sorry, here will, will tell us a story, and it's a true story that actually happened, but he's using it to paint a picture of the ministry for us in John 21. So we're going to see what is the ministry and what is the minister. We're going to see the ministry and the minister. And by the way, we're all ministers. We're not talking about pastors or missionaries or priests. We're talking about anybody who by faith has accepted Jesus Christ as Lord you are a minister. Um, we may call them missionaries, but you, you're part of the mission that Jesus has here on earth. And so here we're going to see the ministry. So that's what we're to be about, what the church is to be about and us individually. And then the minister. And, and let me tell you, this is really encouraging to me because Jesus is going to deal with Peter. And I relate to Peter and maybe you do too. God, we're going to see here, God doesn't use awesome people. So if you're like me, that's like, whew, thank goodness. Um, he uses normal people, hurting people. But let's look at this. We're going to start in John 21, and we're going to answer this first question. What is the ministry 
that Jesus calls us to. Uh, in this modern America, we may think that ministry is we go to church on Sunday. Um, or we'd be really good and we go to a small group too. But we're going to see, really, it's, it's more than that. Starting in verse 1, John 21, verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So here's, here's the beginning of, of the setting up of the picture. Now, this is in Galilee. This is after Jesus rose from the dead. He died, he was buried, he rose three days later, and now the disciples aren't, that was in Jerusalem. This is in a different city. This is in Galilee. This is where Jesus grew up. This is where the disciples are from. Galilee on the city, or on the, on the Sea of Galilee, or here the Greek term, the Sea of Tiberias. So the disciples have gone back. There's a lot of debate. Um, if you've ever heard sermons on this before, you've heard things like, uh, the disciples were all abandoning Jesus and the ministry and going home and doing what they knew. Um, I've heard that. I don't think that's the case. I think they're being obedient because we see elsewhere that Jesus sent a message to his disciples saying, go back to Galilee and wait for me there. I'm going to appear to you there. So I think they were just obeying what Jesus said. And they went home. They went back to Galilee. And then they're hanging out going, well, what do we do till he gets here? And so I think they were doing what they knew, fishing. But John is telling us this story for a reason. They were doing what they knew. Peter was a professional fisherman. He was doing what he was an expert at. He was doing what was in his power, in his strength, something he was capable of. And we're going to see that theme kind of running through this, of Peter being a capable, strong individual, but that not being good enough. And so here they're back and they're fishing. If you're familiar with your New Testament, have we seen anything to do with fishing before, maybe, with the disciples? <laughs> when, when the disciples were first called by Jesus, a few of them at least, they were fishing. Peter was one of those. They were on the beach there with their nets, and, and Jesus walks by and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they dropped their nets and they followed Jesus. The picture John wants us to get is that of the ministry, which is fishing for men. It's a theme that runs through. And so we need to understand some of these themes to see the principles that John is trying to teach. But we'll see fishing, and then later we're going to see sheep. If you've been going with us through the book of John, Jesus refers to us as sheep, and he's the good shepherd. And, and so we're going to see some of that mixed in here as well, that symbolism. But here's the first thing that we need to understand about the ministry. The ministry of the church is to go fishing for souls. That's what we're to do. The church, we've said this before, and this might make some of you uncomfortable, the church exists for those who aren't here yet. The church doesn't exist to be a holy huddle where we high five like, we all believe the same thing, aren't we great? Um, the church exists for those who aren't here yet. Think of it logically with me real quick. So, we know in the future, the rapture is coming. Where Jesus returns, we get new bodies. We get to be with him. It's going to be rad. But until then, we're here. Why, when somebody believes, doesn't Jesus go, boop, and bring us to be with him? We know that our ultimate purpose, why God made us, is to be in relationship with him, to love him, and to know him. 
wouldn't we be able to love him and know him even better if we were right with him? So if that's our big purpose in existing and we're going to do this forever, why wouldn't he just grab us out right then? The reason is, is clear. If you logically think about it, Jesus was right. The reason why is because there's other people out there. If every time somebody believed, Jesus just took them with him, how would anybody else know? The reason we're still here is to tell the story. It makes sense. So here's the ministry, going fishing for souls. If you remember last week, Jesus, the first time he appeared to the disciples, they were in a locked room, and he first he said, peace be with you, because they're freaking out. They think he's a ghost. Then they recognize that it's him. He says, peace be with you again, saying, okay, chill out. We're not going now. We're not setting up the kingdom now. There's a job for you to do, and sometimes it's going to be hard. And so we are sent. The ministry is to go make disciples, to go fishing for souls. Now, we're going to look here at Peter and the others fishing. Remember here the picture of ministry, and they are doing what they're good at. They're operating out of their position of strength, fishing. Some commentators would say it was actually a miracle that they fished all night and caught zero, because the Sea of Galilee, even to now, is one of the best fishing places in the world. So, so that they didn't catch even one fish through the night, that was miraculous. And so there's a point here. Let's look at verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the, the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? Literally, this is, do you have any food? They answered him, no. <laughs> he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John who's writing this, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. So here's the picture. They're out there. They caught nothing. Dawn is breaking. They see somebody on the shore, but they don't know it's Jesus. They're 100 yards off. So just picture a football field. You're on one side. The sun's coming up. They can't see very well. And some guy comes walking out going, hey, you have any food? No. <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of a, a rhetorical question. I know you haven't caught anything. No. Well, then cast the net on the right side. Why would they listen to a stranger on the beach? I don't know. It doesn't say, but maybe they were just desperate. We've been here all night. We've caught nothing. Now we'll cast it over there and they catch a big haul. Why does John tell us this story near the end here? Why? Because they didn't catch anything all night. The ministry done without Jesus is fruitless. When Jesus shows up, they have a big catch. That's what John wants us to get. Ministry without Jesus has no fruit. But when Jesus is the one guiding and directing, there's going to be a great catch of people, a great catch of souls. 153, we're going to see that in a minute, that there's 153 fish in the net. And we're going to talk about that number in a minute, but that's a lot. There's a lot of, of fish in this net that they can't even bring it in. Now, Jesus shows up, they have a great catch. John, for some reason, Peter is involved in the work. John puts it together. This is kind of like something that happened before. Have we heard this story before? Jesus did the same thing before 
where they fished all night. They caught nothing. Jesus says, cast over there, and they pull in a big catch. Same thing happened. John says, it's Jesus. And what does Peter do? Peter grabs his coat. You know, he's stripped for work, so he grabs his outer shirt, dives in, swims the 100 yards to shore. You know, we picture all this happening fast. How long would that take to swim 100 yards? He swims all the way in to be with Jesus. Now, something happens in that time that we're not aware of because John doesn't tell us. He wasn't there. He was on the boat. But Peter swims. He wants to be close to Jesus. Here's, here's the big idea. Jesus provides. Jesus provides the fruit. As I was kind of preparing this, I, I was thinking, how long can a church last without Jesus? I've asked this question before because I remember reading it in a book and I really... I appreciated the answer because it said, how long can a church go without the Holy Spirit being present, without, without Jesus being present? I'm like, not very long. The guy answered, no, actually, as long as the money holds out. I thought, that's a really good point. How is it that American churches can last for decades and decades and decades and never grow and never see salvations, never baptize because Jesus is gone? It, it doesn't really make sense. But then this past couple weeks ago, I was talking to a, uh, a denominational leader, and he was talking about a church. And he said, this church is there, and it's going to just continue, maybe for another couple decades. They've done nothing for decades, and they're going to continue for decades. I said, why? He said, there's a handful of people in there that have a bunch of money, and they just want everything their way. They have, they have no interest in actually carrying out the Great Commission. They actually don't even like people. They're just proud of the name of the church. And so they're going to make sure it keeps going and does whatever they want. Don't change that carpet because, you know, we like this carpet. It's been here this way. And so they'll just keep on going and going and going. And it's just kind of heartbreaking that we can get stuck, even in the church. This is kind of a wake up for us. We can get stuck in what we want in our traditions rather than meeting with Jesus. And I really appreciated what Paul was sharing about worship. We want to celebrate Jesus. That's why we get together. Maybe you've heard the, the quote by John Piper. He says, evangelism, evangelism exists because worship doesn't. That we get together and we start doing religion, the business of church, rather than getting together and just celebrating Jesus and asking him to be present and loving on him. Then through us, he will carry it out. He's the one that causes the catch. So we are to go fishing for souls, but without Jesus there, we're not gonna catch anything. Look at verse nine. When they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and he hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Here we see again this idea and, and John is sharing with us the story, these details, 153. Why 153? Well, the explanation began with Jerome about 100 years after this, but several have kind of affirmed it. They would say 153 in the Sea of Galilee at that time, there were 153 varieties of fish. So he made the argument that you caught 153, you caught one of each variety. We don't know if they did or not. And some would argue, who knows? But it's kind of a good picture, and others have affirmed that, that God's mission is to the world. It wasn't just to Jerusalem. It wasn't just to Israel. It's to the world. And we see elsewhere that the world needs to be evangelized. So the idea is that when we cast the net and he's working, there's going to be people from every tongue, tribe, and nation in the kingdom. 
Someone from every tongue, tribe, and nation is going to respond. This, this idea, this biblical idea, has spurred on a lot of Bible translating through the years. Um, I forget the name of the organization. Somebody probably knows it. Wycliffe? Nope. Maybe. <laughs> but, but their mission was to, to put the Bible in every language out there because they say Jesus isn't going to come back until everybody has heard the message because we know somebody from every nation, tribe, and tongue is going to be there. So anyway, that's the point. God's going to be in it. It's to the world, not just to us, not just to a select group. It goes out to everybody. And it's a lot of fish. It's heavy. They say Peter goes, and this is one of those things, maybe you're like me, you've read things a lot of times and missed stuff. I never, I just thought John was telling a story. You know what I mean? I just, he's just telling us what happened, but yet he, he doesn't just tell us what happened. He chooses what to put in. Why did Peter hanging out with Jesus and then go over to the boat and haul the net ashore? It looks like by himself. 300 pounds is what they think. 300 pounds, he hauls it on shore by himself. A lot of commentators all included Peter was really strong. I thought, who cares? <laughs> but the picture, and we're going to see this in a minute, Peter was a strong, capable individual. But that wasn't enough. And, and so John's including this so that those of us who feel weak are going to realize we're part of it too. It's not just the capable. It's not just the strong or the self-dependent that God is going to use. So he goes, he pulls it, to the shore. Let's look with me um, at verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and he gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Where did Jesus get the fish? <laughs> they just pull, pulled it ashore, and Jesus already has fish cooking on a charcoal fire. Where did Jesus get the fish? John includes this to say Jesus doesn't even need you. <laughs> he wants us to be involved in ministry, but he doesn't need us. He is capable to do everything himself. He is able to provide. When I was growing up, I had a, a man teach me how to hand fish. And uh, we would go to a, it was best when the fish were spawning, this was in Colorado, and we'd get on a beaver dam, and he would go, and he would uh, actually peel back some of the wood, and so you could see the tails of the fish, and he'd reach down and just throw them on shore like a bear. And so there'd be a handful of fish just flopping on the shore because he's grabbing them and throwing them on the shore. I think to a certain extent, that's kind of the picture. Jesus is there with no pole, with no net, and here he's got the fish. Where did he get the fish? Now, I don't think Jesus was out there like hand fishing. I think he was able just to walk to the shore probably and say, fish, and it jumped out. Who knows? But Jesus is able to provide. The net is not torn. There's fish already there. 300 pounds in the net. The net's not made to carry that much weight. Why did it not tear? Why did Jesus already have fish? God's work done God's way never lacks God's provision. God's work done God's way never lacks God's provision. Jesus provides the catch, and he provides the ability to bring it to shore. Jesus doesn't need people, but he already has the bread and the fish there provided. It's a beautiful picture, a beautiful picture of us depending on him and him providing all that we need. God's work done God's way never lacks God's provision. 
Remember the Israelites when they left Egypt? God said, you know, I'm going to set you free. Sends Moses. He leads them out. They get to the, the Red Sea and it's blocking their way. Was God like, oh man, I didn't know they were going to go that way. They're hosed. <laughs> he's, you know, he splits the sea. So they make it across. Then they get to the other side. They get to the wilderness. They're like, we're hungry. God wasn't like, I didn't think of that. And they all died of starvation. He sent manna. He sent quail. Then they're thirsty. It's like, oh, a desert. I didn't think of that either. No, Moses was able to speak to a rock or to tap a rock the first time. And out comes a stream of water. Their sandals lasted 40 years without wearing out. They weren't Nike. <laughs> they, they were, who, whatever they were, they were these letters. They lasted forever. God's work done God's way never lacks God's provision. As we follow him in obedience, faithful obedience, he'll provide for whatever it is he's calling us to do. A couple weeks ago, uh, I was on the phone with a, a guy who's being sent out as a church planter. And his heart is to go to St. Paul. Um, he was in the church I grew up in as a worship pastor, and, and his plan has been to go plant. And so we were talking on the phone because the, the fellowship that he was going to go with was kind of having some issues. And so he thought, maybe I need to look at something else. And so we talked about options. We talked about our experience with church planting, and, and we talked about the North American Mission Board. And so we here have been supported through the North American Mission Board, and we were able to share some of what God has done and how, how wonderful that is, but also share, you know, some of the things that we learned through this of, you know, your fellowship has some things that's offering that are really great. Try and stick with that. So we had this good conversation, but I asked him in it, I said, when you get there, how are you going to live? Because they're going to training, then they're going to go plant this church. He said, I don't know. He said, they're going to provide for us for three months. And after that, we got to figure it out. I said, really? So I said, we'll call Nam because they may have something else. Well, Two weeks later, I find out that he has his housing paid for, covered while they're in training, he and his family. For the first two years of their plant, they have housing provided, free. When he goes, there's already a handful of people that just committed to go with them. And in that group that are going are musicians, um, administrators, people familiar with technology, all those things that you need to do church stuff. They all just happen to be on this team going. And I thought that was really encouraging as I heard that, that God's work done God's way never lacks God's provision. Because as I talked to him, I said, well, what are you going to do? He said, I don't know. I don't know. But here two weeks later, God has provided a lot of what he would need. And as we go in obedience, God will show up. God will provide. And so here's a quick moment of application. If you're a follower of Jesus, what is God calling you to do? Is there something that's been on your heart, but you've got all these excuses of why not? We don't have enough money. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough skills. I mean, we could list all the reasons why not to do what God might want us to do. What is it that God wants you to do? I'll bet some of us in here have something. You, you could write it down right now. Here's my dream would be this. And if that's God's dream, then guess what? If you pursue it, he's going to provide. He's going to do whatever it takes to make that happen. Because God's work done God's way never lacks God's provision. Now we're going to transition here because God is, Jesus is going to transition from what the ministry looks like to who he uses in the ministry. He's going from this picture of fishing now to more the picture of, of the church, of the minister. And he's going to deal with Peter. Look, if you would, with me at verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Do you remember the story of Peter? Remember what Peter did three days before this? Three days before this, when Jesus is being tried, Peter is there. Peter was able to sneak his way in close by so he could actually see Jesus when he was on trial. And he denied Jesus three times. Three times he denied even knowing Jesus. One time with a curse. I mean, he was adamant trying to make everybody around him know he didn't even know Jesus and he claimed to love Jesus. He denied Jesus three times and here Jesus is going to deal with him. There's a, an interesting word play to a certain extent here. The word charcoal. If you notice here that the disciples, when they came there, there was a charcoal fire already going that he was cooking the fish on. You know the smell of charcoal when something's cooking? I, we smelled it yesterday several times of barbecue. We, we were driving up by, in Tahoe with the window down and somebody out front was barbecuing. And it reminded us of Scolari's years ago when we lived in Gardnerville. Is that right? Scolari's. They used to bring this big grill out front and they'd have ribs and chicken, all this stuff going. And that smell was just, you had to go buy chicken or ribs, whatever it was. But that smell, this charcoal fire that he has going, this word charcoal is only used one other time in the New Testament. And it's used when Peter is warming himself on a charcoal fire with others at Jesus' trial. When Peter denies Jesus for the third time and their eyes meet, Jesus, out of earshot, knows what just happened and he looks at Peter. Just, can you feel that? <laughs> can you feel that betrayal? Can you feel being Peter? He had said before, when Jesus said, you all will be scattered. I'm going to be arrested. You all will scatter. Jesus said, even if they all leave, I won't. I will follow you even to death. And that was when Jesus turned to him and said, no, you won't, Peter. He said, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, no, I won't. <laughs> then he does. He denies him three times, once with a curse over this fire, and their eyes meet. And Peter just breaks. And so now here, Jesus is dealing with Peter. Peter, who denied him three times, now confesses his love three times. You know, people have made that, that correlation of, of restoration, and this is restoration. Jesus is restoring Peter to relationship. And some have said three times deny, three times love. I, I think it's a little bit something different. As we look through, you see here, Jesus says, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Again, there's debate on what are these but I think when we understand scripture, it's pretty clear. Earlier, he had said, I love you more than they do because they're going to fall away and I won't. Jesus says, remember when you promised to follow me no matter what and you said you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? He says, Lord, you know that I love you. He says, feed my sheep. He tells him again, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. And then the third time he says, do you love me? This time it says, Peter is grieved the third time. I think finally Peter broke Peter broke the third time. God doesn't use strong, capable people. Peter, strong, fishing, doing what he knows, fails. Peter, able to pull this net to shore, 300 pounds. God doesn't use strong, capable people. God uses broken people. 
God uses broken, dependent, submissive people. Peter broke. I think it took three times for Peter to go, ah, I'm be grieved by it. You know everything, he says. He appeals to his all-knowing, his omniscience. You know everything. You know that I love you. God uses broken people. I hope this is really encouraging to you because it is to me. I, if I came to know Christ as a kid, eight years old. And all through my life, I've heard the stories of people going, you know, I was this horrible sinner. I did all these things. Then I came to know Jesus, and then my life looked like this. That's not my story. My, my story is I came to know Jesus young. I fell in love with him when I was 16. Then I did some bad things. <laughs> I relate more to Peter to go, I love Jesus. And then I do these things with, and I, I mean, I could tell you the stories and you would leave. But I could tell you the stories of the things that I did with, with Jesus on my mind, with love on my mind, going, you know what? I, I'm not going to love you right now. I'm going to do this instead. And I think that's like Peter. Peter was one of his best friends. One of his best friends. And God says, Jesus says, let's reconcile. I'll bring you back in close. Now, this isn't an excuse for us to go sin, Christians. It's not an excuse for us to run. But it is, it is encouraging that Jesus can even use us. Even us who have sinned significantly, even after knowing him, he will restore us and use us. Now, what we see here too in the ministry of the minister, Jesus says, do you love me? He says, I love you. Then he gives him a job to do. And the job is then within the church. He says, feed my sheep. That's the picture of teaching scripture. Feed them with the word. You cannot separate a love for God from a love for his people. And we see that earlier in the, in the book of John too. You cannot separate love for God from obedience. He says, those who love me will obey me. You will, I will know the one who loved me because they will obey me. And G Jesus, or I'm sorry, John again in 1 Peter later will write, if you say that you love God, but you do not love others, you're a liar. And so the picture here is the minister is reconciled to Jesus and then given a job to do, given a ministry to do. And for Peter, it was teaching. And then it was tending. He's, the second time he says, tend my lambs. Tend, that's the idea of overseeing, looking over. That's why here at Common Ground, we're gonna teach the word. We're gonna feed through this. We're gonna protect the idea of protection, meaning we're gonna keep false teaching out. We're gonna protect the unity of the body. There, you have to be diligent within the church to teach and to protect and do these things. And that's the mission that God had given to his church that Jesus gave through Peter to the rest of the church. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. This is in your notes. Jesus reconciles sinners to himself and then he gives them a ministry to do. Jesus reconciles sinners to himself and then gives them a ministry to do. Jesus is going to build on this idea of, of not a competent person, but using a weak person. Peter had promised. Peter had, had declared that he would follow him even to death. He didn't. He denied him. Now Jesus is going to address that. He says in verse 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. 
This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. The, wordage, the, the wording there of, of Jesus saying, you know, you used to, when you were young, you dressed yourself, you did these things. I mean, yeah, obviously every kid gets to a point where they can dress themselves. The idea is of a self-confident young man. That's the picture. When I was a sophomore and my sister was a senior, I remember going to graduation and, and all the seniors, at least the popular ones, they walked like this. They, for, they didn't bend their knees and my dad called it the senior strut. And I don't know, it was just the cool thing to do. You didn't bend your knees and it looked really silly. But it's this idea of, of this strut, this, this, the, the walk of the strong. You know what I mean? You can dress yourself, you do whatever you want. That was Peter. Peter was strong, strutting, confident. And that didn't get the job done. Now he's broken. He failed. He denied Jesus. He did not go to death. But Jesus says, hey, we're reconciled. And next time, next time you're going to pass the test. Next time you will die for me. And so that's why he's saying here, when you're older, you will stretch out your arms and you'll go where you don't want to go. uh, Peter, tradition tells us Peter was crucified. Tradition tells us he was crucified upside down. We don't know if that's true. But tradition says he was crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to die the way Jesus died. So put me upside down. Peter did stretch out. Peter didn't deny Jesus the next time. After this, Peter would walk in full dependence and surrender on Jesus. And great things happened. Just days after this, he would preach a sermon where 5,000 people were saved. God's work done God's way never lacks God's provision and the fruit And so he he tells him how he's going to die. And then he says, follow me, follow me. You cannot carry out Jesus's mission apart from complete surrender and submission to him. This is why we spent four weeks on John chapter 15. If you weren't here this summer and you missed it, look at the podcast. But John 15, all about abiding, walking in surrender and clinging tightly to Jesus. John 15, five says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do everything in his power, in his strength. So here, Peter now is reconciled. He's given his job to do. And it looks like they go for a walk. They're walking along. Look at verse 20. Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is John following him. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what's that to you? You follow me. Now, he's going to go on and tell us that he didn't actually say John was going to stay, live until he came. That was a a rumor that went around. But the point was this, Peter had gotten his mission, he'd been reconciled, and now Peter started looking around. Aren't we kind of like that? (laughs) Don't we start looking around? We look at the other people in the church, maybe right now you're thinking about looking, you know, You look at the people around, you compare, you judge. Well, they're not going, so why should I? Jesus says, stop looking around you. Stop making excuses. You follow me. That's why he says that. This is the second time. You follow me. I don't care what everybody else is doing. You follow me. Church history has that over and over of the the church often going in the wrong direction. And individuals or small groups standing up going, no, we're going to stay faithful. That's what Jesus calls. No matter what the group is doing, or those around you, you follow me. I can tell stories and stories of this, of what it might cost, but you follow me and I'll provide. Our job as ministers is to follow Jesus wherever he may lead. 
wherever he may lead. Let's finish the book. Verse 23, so the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the whole world itself could not contain the books that would be written. John is saying, I picked the things to put in this book for a reason, that you may believe and have life. I could have written more, but there's not room for it. We're going to choose these things. History tells us that John was the only disciple to not be martyred. The only disciple to not be martyred. He was an old man when he wrote this. All the rest were probably already killed. And so he outlines this. This is the last gospel to be written. Great book. Last chapter of the last gospel. What do we take from this? What do we take? I hope we take this. We're to be about the ministry. And I hope that you personally go, God can even use me. As long as I'm weak, dependent, broken, that's who God uses to do great things. And if we will go, listen, if we will go together as a church, dependent on him, we're going to see great things. That's why our big prayer each week. Our big prayer is not for a big group in here. Our big prayer is not that the sermon will be awesome or that the music will be. Our big prayer is that the Holy Spirit shows up. Because when you meet with God, he will change you. When we meet with God, when he's here with us, guess what? We can't help but go his way and do what he wants. And we're going to see great things. That's why we got comfy chairs so we can put people in them who then will come to Jesus, grow up, and then we keep going. But God's going to do great things. But I, here's my big thing for each of us. What's our part? Are we willing to play our part as ministers in this ministry? Let's be honest about that. What is it? And now let's go together. Let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you. We thank you for having John include this last chapter. It's so encouraging to me to see you use broken people. You use weak people. You use anybody willing to submit to you. All we have to do is submit and follow. And often you use <laughs> weak, we may say unintelligent. We may say those who have fallen significantly, but when they realize their dependence on you, all of a sudden you can do amazing things. And we ask you, Jesus, be here with us. Holy Spirit, be strong here. Lead us individually as we go in the week. Show us who you want us to share you with. We want to go fishing. Bring those people into our path where we get to share who you are. And we don't need to know a lot. We just need to be obedient. We just need to follow. And then we can bring them to you. And we can bring them together. And we can pray together. We can bring them to our groups. And we can grow together. We just ask you to do what you would do. We just want to follow. It's all for your glory. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.